Speak Better Best Books with authors, readers, and other endangered species. I'm your guide, Katerina Valentin. Come and join us. Welcome to Big Better Best Books podcast. And for this episode, I have the amazing Chris Hughes as my guest. And he is such a multi-artist creator that I didn't even know how to present him. So I've asked him to present himself. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. I think probably like a lot of you out there listening and probably you as well, Katerina, I have worn a lot of different hats in my life and had a lot of different jobs and professions and I guess I could say that, well, I am the managing director of an antique and art business in Australia, and I also travel the world mentoring, or I don't really love the word mentoring, but facilitating seminars and classes on your voice, essentially, and all of the different aspects of what that could be. And that's actually the topic for today. This is The topic for today is how do you find your voice in writing? Cool. So... Where would you like to start? How do you find your voice when you write? Well, the first thing is I try not to define what my voice is and just go, what's my voice today? Or if I was truly going to communicate whatever it is my aim is with whatever I'm writing or, or be it an email or a book or whatever, what can my audience hear and what would I like them to hear? I remember when I was trained as a journalist, one of the things they said is that as a newspaper journalist, a lot of them had like a person somewhere in the country that they thought of that they were writing for. Like, I don't know, Aunt May in Utah, mm-hmm. if that exists. But you're not talking about that. You're talking about something slightly different. You're talking about what they can hear. Absolutely. So my point of view with voice is... Your body has voice, you have a physical voice that comes out of your throat as a result of air passing through your lungs, but then you do have a voice in the world and that is so different. And I know that for those of you who are interested in writing, this is a concept that might not be that foreign to you, but what I try to get people to look at is that your voice actually extends so far beyond what you think it is, even creatively. So I get people to start asking questions. And with the thing I just said about what you would like people to hear or what they can hear, Hmm. no, that is a little bit different than, say, trying to identify a target audience like in Utah. It's more about going, okay, I'm alive, I'm awake, I'm a force in the world today. What would I like the world to hear if I was truly being my voice? And the voice that I'm usually looking for and asking to be is the voice that will create a greater future on the planet for all. So that, and that is a completely different way of looking at it. And and let's go back to that in a bit. I want to ask you something in between about what you said. So you said that when you wake up, what voice would I like to be today? Or what voice am I today? Maybe. And, And I think a lot of people are looking for their voice. What is my voice? Like it's kind of like a single entity defined voice in the world. So, but you're saying that doesn't really exist then that you have a different voice. Well, it's possible. Some, I mean, I've noticed for myself, there is always a particular flavor, so to speak to what and how I write, but 
I think there's a lot of freedom in actually being willing to look beyond that. Because how much fun is it to explore and play and go, you know what? I actually want to try something different. Or the analogy I quite often use is if you were a painter and on your palette that you painted from, instead of just having the same old four to five colors, what if every day you could say, huh, I wonder what other colors were available? Or I wonder what other thing I could try or thing I could do to do this differently. The the other thing too is quite often people's voice is a result of them trying to get something right or use a technique as opposed to just being. You know, like the, the biggest thing that I do with my classes with the right voice for you is I get people to be willing to just be themselves. They think they're coming to learn how to do something better or learn, as you say, how to find that voice that's theirs. But if you're just being you, your voice can be something different any time, any day. Well, it's interesting because I think this is a freedom that we are taught. One, we're taught how to write. So we have certain things that we're following there to get it right. And then we're taught that we should find, we should have our voice when we write and it should be kind of consistent. That's the other and one of the things that occurs, you have a very close friend of mine who wrote a book that became a bestseller, like a real big bestseller worldwide. And the next book has been in production for, I think, the last seven years. <laughs> and now it's finally coming out, the next book. And I would say that one of the trickiest part is that he didn't really want to write a book in the same voice. The publishing company wanted him to write the same book again so they could create a second bestseller. So if you would look at, like if you would advise somebody how they, if they had a great success with something they wrote, what should they ask? Like how should they move further without getting stuck in that? It's kind of a success trap. You yeah, know, like this, exactly. is, this is a writing that I've used, it worked, and then you try to repeat that over and over again, the same kind of, it could be for anything really, like if you're a copywriter or if you if you write books or if you write articles because you have a winning concept and then you stick yeah. to it. That's that's such a good point. One of the concepts I talk about a lot in class is stardom versus fame. Mm. And when you're famous and you've had some success in this reality and you've received the accolades because you wrote the great book or you published a great album, say for example, people do want you to cookie cutter it and produce it again and produce yes. it again. Because there's a financial interest. That's the self-interest of usually the publisher going, great, how do we monetize this and keep this going? That's fame. No, sorry, that's stardom. Right. You become a star by doing that. But fame, on the other hand, is where you create something that is so far in the future, it actually changes things for generations to come. Fame always creates a future. So here's two examples. I know this may seem a little abstract to the question that, you're, that you've asked, but okay, so do you know the song Twinkle Twinkle Little Star? Yes. I would say probably everybody on the planet knows that song. Yes. Mozart wrote it 300 years ago. He wrote a song that has resonated throughout time and cultures, and it was written by somebody so long ago that none of us know who wrote it, but we know this song. It continues to resonate with people. Santa Claus, 
Santa Claus was based on a saint called Saint Nicholas, who I believe, don't fact check me on here on the spot, but I believe he was an 11th century saint who was notorious for his generosity of spirit and leaving anonymous gifts in people's shoes. Hence the socks. Hence, hence the Christmas socks, right? But centuries later, we still know who this guy is. Now, my sense is with both of these people, they weren't trying to reproduce a success of before. They were trying to create an energy on the planet that they knew was possible. Hmm. You know, with, with Mozart, he was so driven to produce beautiful, great art, and he broke a lot of rules at the time. And that's the other thing is being willing to break the rules and the societal norms of now and go against the grain. I mean, if you look at books like Pieces by Hemingway or even Steinbeck, when they were written as a form and as a voice, they were weird and they were not exactly embraced at the time by the general public or even widely understood but they created a future that generations later, people are still appreciating them or coming to light of what they were actually trying to extrapolate on. And it's the same with music. If you look at a lot of music that we take for granted today, rock music or like all of that, when it came, it was weird. It was something that, that kind of was, the whole society said, don't listen to that. Like a lot of music came that way. But then we actually have, so you... If anybody's listening to his voice, you can hear it's a very beautiful voice. But you used to be an opera singer. I was an opera singer, actually. And it's funny you should ask, you know, with the the conversation that we're having right now, that was the, to my target in life was to be an opera singer. Mm. And eventually I got a little bit bored with just standing on stage and singing. And I wanted to become a director and producer of opera because, again, I found the form so endearing or it just really resonated with me as an art form. I thought it was such a beautiful combination of the story or the script that somebody had written and the music and the acting and the, the person who designed the sets and all of these elements playing together. To me, it was just this, this enormous potential to create beauty for people to enjoy. But it became and has become something extremely bourgeois and worldwide, it's struggling because it's losing its audience. And I started to be going to production and direction, and I got my dream job, which, going coming out of university, I was invited to be one of the associate directors of the University of Toronto Opera Company that, was, that fed the biggest opera company in Canada, basically. And they gave me the job of directing two operas of their five a year. Wow. And... The first one they gave me was The Marriage of Figaro, which is based on a play that was banned by the French when Marie Antoinette was in power because it was all about the peasants uprising against the nobles. So this was a sensitive topic at the time. And when Mozart wrote this, actually, it was banned in Austria where he wrote it as well. Well, I looked at it and I went, okay, well, let's make this relevant. Let's do something different. And I said, at the time, mind you, this was 15 years ago or so, I said, this is still happening today because it's a comedy about the fact that if someone got married, the lord of the land got to have the first night with the wife if, if you know, class-wise she was below him. And I said, okay, let's set this in the Oval Office. This is Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. 
And they went, no, 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 please, no, we can't do anything quite like that. And I said, okay, fine. I said, if you want to do arty and you want to do something highbrow, this is blue blood versus blue collar. This is the young guy who has blue balls and there's an old lady who's got, you know, she's got blue hair. Let's do crazy monochromatic shades of blue. It'll look really interesting on stage. You know, imagine those big powder glitters, yeah. but all in minutely different shades of blue. It will be visually really arresting. And they looked at me and they went, we just want to give singers a chance to produce these operas in ways that they will be expected to do them in the real world. And I went, oh, you're not actually interested in change or art or beauty. You're just interested in a product. Okay, well, this is, again, <laughs> so then did you do it? No, actually, um, I didn't do it. I was having, they, I was struggling so much with their point of view, and it was such a prestigious job, and I was the youngest person ever to give it, that they wanted me to work for the first three years for free. And I was a young guy, 22 or something, going, um, how do I make this work exactly? So I started traveling, and actually, I ended up in Asia doing voices for computer games and for cartoons and writing textbooks on how to write. <laughs> See? We're, well, I just want to add, so I went to the opera in Stockholm a few, just a few days before I came here, and we watched Don Giovanni. Lovely. Jenny, I can't mm-hmm. even say that. So they had done something different. They had set the whole opera in a bathroom, and every, everything was really about like how he abused the women and how they uprised against him. That's what the opera was about. And it was people naked on stage and they were, you know, wine running down the like really, you know, a very different way. And you could perceive in the room how people were squirming from it not being what they expected and other people were enjoying it. Hmm. But it did make it relevant. The opera was relevant. And when you look, if you look back at Mozart, when he wrote that opera, it was about something that was relevant at his time, like that, that when he wrote it, it was relevant. So if, if, you, if we go back to your question, when you look at your voice in the world, you look at how will it change the world? How did you say? How yeah, did you what put future it? will it create? What future will it create? So now when you work with, let's say, the classes you do all over the world, how do you inspire that? I, the first thing I do and the thing that's created the greatest change for me in my life is I invite people to get really clear on what it is they want to create. Mm, Like, what future do you want? Are you happy with things as they are now? Is there something that is not here on the planet or in your surroundings that you'd actually really like to see different? And how do you invite that into being? How How could you ask for that? And if you were being a voice that was totally different with your writing or whatever it is you're doing, what could that change and what could that create? So for me, I have a target of creating beauty on the planet and inviting people to live with elegance and with grace and to have a true sense of intimacy with each other and everything else. Those are the things in my life that I value and I would like to see more of. So my voice, be it through writing or whatever, aims to create that. And also, I would say, it could be through whatever. Like, it's not just writing. You're talking about a voice that then goes through everything you create, right? Yeah. That, How you style your hair in the morning is part right. of your voice in the world. 
Yes. That is very true. Like yeah. how you look, like what clothes you're wearing, how mm. you move yourself throughout the world, how you interact with everyone is your voice in the world. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So if, if we looked at the world today, could you give some voices that you are struck by? It doesn't need to be the voices you agree with or, or even, you know, that, but could you give some strong voices in the world today? Yeah, the, one of the ones that I really, I've been reading a lot of lately and I really am enjoying is Stephen Fry. Um, Stephen Fry, for those of you who don't know him or probably do, he's a British comedian. He hosts QI on BBC and he's he writes a lot on Greek myth uh, and he's written two fabulous books, one called Mythos and one called Heroes, where he retells Greek myth but with his dry wit and humor that he makes it very accessible, yet still stays true to the original stories and demystifies some of it and goes down into the root of a lot of the language, um, which I find really fascinating. And what the thing I love about him and his voice is he makes things relevant in a way that some people might not consider them. And he has an intelligence that he... Ex- when, that uses to express things that I just find so refreshing. I even I listen to Stephen Fry reading um, the Harry Potter books at the moment. I'm re- li- he have a beautiful voice. Yeah, such a beautiful voice. And what we're talking about with the voice coming through and everything, what you're talking about in those books comes through when he reads the Harry Potter books, which are children books, maybe possibly or any age book. They have a wide enough audience. They do have a, yeah. Some people are closet Harry Potter people, you know. They, oh, they I'm a totally kids. out Harry Potter yeah. person. I enjoy re-listening to them, especially when he reads them, because he does bring that. He brings, like, something that's his voice that then gets combined with the voice of J.K. Rowling. And mm. then that becomes something new that didn't exist before, like him taking the Greek myth. So for him, his voice would be kind of like a rejuvenation or a re—I don't know what do you call it, like a, a it's recreation, like re, yeah, and reinterpretation, reinterpretation in a way, yeah, yeah. exactly. But it, it it makes it fresh even today, and yes. like I did was trying to do with the opera, going, hey, these stories, are, this is still what's happening in the world now. Like the Don Giovanni performance yeah. you went to, how relevant is that today with the Me Too movement that people are are? It was extremely relevant, exactly. Actually. So. Yes. He makes these things relevant again because he applies them to how things are occurring on the planet now. So that's interesting too if we look at voice because you're not saying find your new voice. It could be like beeps and bloops and it's actually keeping the past, present and future in how you create your voice. Like you're, you're aware of the past and what has been and then you are currently choosing your voice today like you're looking at who am I today? What would I like to create? But you're also aware of the whole future, like the Tinkle Star. Yeah. Which in Swedish is Blinkalilahana, which is why I cannot <laughs> remember the name. Sounds fabulous in Swedish. So when you're looking at voice, it's not, it really is a timeless voice then? Absolutely. But I don't think it's going to work if you go out with that express intention of going, I'm going to create a different future today with what I'm writing. My voice is going to... It may get a little significant. It may get a little significant significant. and a little strange. Yeah. So go have fun. And again, be guided by what is it that you want to see in the world? 
what is it that, and, and do not try and get it right. Do not go, this is my mandate, this is my direction, so these are the choices I'll make based on this to create this because this is the right way. So I would say there's two really clues there because one is play is basically so play have fun play with it mm. but how 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 do I not get it right because I would say I you know we all try to get it right in some way or another some less than others but what it what's a what's a tool to use to not get it right Be, okay so you have to kind of listen to yourself I'll notice for myself if I'm trying to get it right it's not as fun. And I'll have a expectation in mind with the result that I will achieve. And that's usually when you're trying to get it right. An expectation of a particular result or an outcome, that investment is usually what keeps you stuck in trying to get it right. And, it, and what came up now for me is also if I'm willing to have people not like what I write or not yeah. approve of it, yeah. then I have an easier time not getting it right. Like if I'm... From willing to fail, basically, when I write. Absolutely. Like, I've got some people that work with me who they are quite cerebral or intellectual people, and they really need to talk things through. And they'll send me emails or Skype messages or whatever that are two meters long and expect this long, thoughtful, drawn-out response. And I'll usually respond with a sentence or a few words. And I know it frustrates them, but I don't care. It's, and I'm not saying that to be callous and mean, but I'm willing to be wrong in their eyes to more directly speak to the energy of what's actually going to change things. When you put something on paper or computer or wherever you put it today, it supposedly exists. Like if you just talk, you, you kind of are a little bit more willing to screw up what comes out of your mouth because it goes and then it disappears. But the writing is writing in stone like that, whatever that energy is that like it's going to be there. But you're willing to even send an email that they could refer to after. Look, you just sent us a line. We sent you this whole explanation and you only got back with this. So when you look at the voice, do you have a difference between what comes out here through your mouth and what is in writing? Or is it the same? What if everything in your life was an expression of you and your voice? Like we said, to how you style your hair, to how what clothes you wear, yeah. to what you write in an email, to how you express affection to your loved ones, to the physical voice that comes out of your body and could have allowance for that. Because mm. the one thing that you'll do to try and get things right, to go back to that question, is you'll take a point of view. It's everywhere that you have a point of view about what it is that you're creating or what it is that you should or shouldn't be doing that gets you in that trap of trying to get it right. Yeah. So even with how I style my hair in the morning, it's not getting it right. <laughs> like yeah. Even my hair could be like going all over the place one day because that's whoever, whatever it became that day, whatever yeah. I created that day. So if somebody were to come to one of your classes, one mm -hmm. of your voice classes, and they were a budding writer, yeah, would it assist them? Absolutely. I've been so blown away by the people that have come to my classes and have started to look at what their voice is a little differently and that it actually does bleed into their whole life. And I've had people start to be willing to just be creative and explore all kinds of mediums, not just writing, but for the fun of it and being willing to 
pick up the guitar that's been in the closet for months and years and just start enjoying playing. And we do, in the classes, we do exercises writing, speaking, singing, all the areas, even we do some visual art like drawing, all the areas where your judgments of you come up where you go, oh, I'm not that good at this or what I do isn't that valuable. And we explore those things and start to change it so people can see things from a different point of view. And we didn't even get that much to that, but that is such a big part of it, this, I'm not that good at this. Like, I'm not that good at writing, or I'm not that good at drawing, or I'm not that good at singing. Like, all of those areas, how that then would stop this, if we look at our voice in all areas of the world, expressing who we be, if we have certain areas that we cut off because we've decided... I'm not that good in that area. So I'm not going to express myself at all in that area. I'm just going to express myself over here. That creates a limitation then of who you can be. Absolutely. I mean, I've got a painting in my living room at home. The most valuable piece of art that my husband and I own is a white canvas with a pink dot in the middle of it. And it's by one of today's most famous artists, Damien Hirst. And based on that, it's a very valuable piece of art. But there is zero technique or skill, so to speak, in it. It's all a perceived or intellectualized value. But we judge ourselves. Could you make a pink dot? For sure you could. Why not? Yeah. And he has a voice in the world that he has created throughout everything, obviously, like throughout everything he bees, and therefore that has a value. But he's chosen to... Have it valuable too, obviously. Well, he has very distinctly and pointedly tried to change the conversation about value and about monetization in art. And uh, it's very interesting what he has to say. That's a long conversation. I know. I, I thought you were like starting on getting yeah. on, but it was, it's a brilliant example. Because if you go, if I say I can't sing, but could I sing a pink dot, basically? Like, it's, yeah. it's the same thing. Could yes, I, I could. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I could sing twinkle, twinkle, little star. So, so it's basically, are you willing to actually not buy what's already bought as valuable, not valuable, and, and be willing to create something that may have never existed before with the voice you're being in mm-hmm. the world? So if people would like to find you and come to one of your classes, how do they find you? Uh, well, if you go to accessconsciousness.com slash Christopher Hughes, um, you'll find a listing of all the classes that I have coming up this year. I do have another website, but it's in construction at the moment. Also, actionsforfutures.com uh, should have information about me in my bio, and that's another very interesting project you might want to read about, and through social media, I suppose, as well. Thank you. And thank you so much for coming to, thank you. to my show today. I come anytime. Thank you. You all have you back. And if you would like to know more about Big Better Best Books podcast, you can subscribe to updates about the podcast on bigbetterbestbooks.com. And thank you for today. Goodbye. Bye.